want to talk about this morning, and that's the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God. Um, and virtually every song that we uh, sang had that theme in it, uh, the goodness and righteousness of God, that there is no other God besides our God. Um, I don't know if you've noticed in your travels down Bottom Lakewood, Bottomwood Lake Road, uh, there is a new sign there. It's been there, I think, for about two weeks. It uh, has our name on it. It just identifies us as a church of being part of the Adopt-A-Road program. It's a kind of a small little sign. It's green, but it has uh, the name of our church there. I'm actually thankful for that. I think the more that uh, we are present in our community, which pretty much is what the grass sale is about, uh, the more opportunities we will have to engage people in conversation about God. But I found it interesting at that uh, roundabout, the one that by Lodge Road, where Lodge Road hits bottom Woodlake Road, the sheer number of signs that have been posted in and around that roundabout. Every one of those signs is likely posted to help us stay safe. But there, I counted, there are over 40 around that. Now, I guess many of them say the same thing depending on which direction you come. But at some point, I thought when I looked at that, there is a point to which it is becoming counterproductive. But next time you drive by there, just take a look. It is absolutely incredible. Uh, and not necessarily in a good way. The, the adopter road sign is a little bit past that. So if you haven't seen it and would like to take a look at it, it's uh, just a bit, I think, towards the sanctuary. I forget the name of what that's called, but uh, it's there. I also want to just uh, mention to the church family that on uh, June 14th, um, I'm going to meet with uh, people who are interested in considering baptism. There are those within our church that have talked to me and said, Doug, we would like to be baptized, and I think it's a beautiful celebration for a church. And I thought, well, there may be others who, who um, may be giving that some, some thought. And uh, so on June 14th, i um, just going to gather at the Alliance Church at about 3 o'clock and share what the, the Bible has to say about what it means to be baptized, about so why we do it. It is, I would say, an act of obedience to what Jesus has asked us to do. Um, when Jesus um, talked to his disciples at the end of, of Matthew, he said, go into the all, all the world preaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol, it's a sign of a personal commitment and confession of faith. It's made publicly, uh, made within the context of the Church of God. And so I just encourage you, even those of you who may have already been baptized and would like to come and join us that afternoon, you could talk about your own experience, what it meant to you. Um, but June 14th, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon at the Alliance Church, and... Uh, we likely will have a baptism, I'm thinking sometime, probably in the middle of summer, because it'll likely be outdoors and in a creek or natural water of some kind. So um, I think it has a potential to be a beautiful Sunday morning as a church family. Um, 
This morning I want to talk a bit about the fact that the God that we serve, the God who is above all other gods, that he's a sovereign God. He reigns over all the rulers of this earth. He reigns above all rulers in heavenly or spiritual realm, that God is the embodiment of all that is true, all that is pure, all that is holy, all that is just, and all that is right. That these attributes reflect the very character of God himself. They reflect the character of our heavenly Father. And when Paul in Ephesians 6 says we are to put on righteousness, he is talking about the righteousness of God. He is talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is not talking about us. He's turning our attention toward God and to his son Jesus Christ, both of whom were and are righteous in all their ways. I would say that righteousness, justice, fairness, those are all ideals that we value. Uh, we value, I think, in people, when we see those characteristics in people, we value them. We value them within the context of our country. We long for them. We often will ask, did someone get a fair hearing? Was justice done? Did we uphold what was right? We hope in our own human way that that which was right, that which was just, that which was fair, is what we accomplish. And it's interesting, in 1968, and uh, some of you will remember, the theme of a political party, it's about 1968, the theme was that of a just society. Some of you will remember it well. It was, in fact, the platform of the Liberal Party. And it happened to come across it. I wasn't looking for it, but it seemed to fit. And part of the statement of a just society said this. The just society will be one in which all of our people will have the means and the motivation to participate. The just society will be one in which personal and political freedom will be more securely ensured than it has ever been in the past. The just society will be one in which the rights of minorities will be safe from the whims of intolerant majorities. The just society will be one in which those regions and groups which have not fully shared in the country's affluence will be given a better opportunity. The just society will be one where such urban problems as housing and pollution will be attacked through the application of new knowledge and new techniques. The speech went on from there, but I think that's plenty of it. In 2008, during the U.S. presidential election campaign, we heard about the slogan, yes, we can, yes, we can. They were moving inspirational speeches because they held out hope, they held out potential for something that is so elusive. 
for a more just, for a more fair, for a more righteous, if you might say, world. And it's interesting that, as I thought about that, that besides being kind of political statements, they're actually a confession that we fall short as people, as societies, as a country, when it comes to doing what is right. And in the end, when we gather as God's people, when we sing songs as we did this morning, I take comfort, I take strength, I take rest in the fact that in the end, in all things, the sovereign God will act in a way that will remove doubt and uncertainty, that our God is 100% righteous. He is 100% just. And he's our Heavenly Father. Deuteronomy 32, verse 1 to 4, I think it's sometimes referred to as the Song of Moses. Moses said this. It, it's quite a poetic beginning. He says, listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words that I say. Let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he. I want to say this morning, that's the character of our God. That's the character of our Heavenly Father. And this morning, I rest in the knowledge of who God is. When we meet as men's prayer at times, and many people will start their prayer simply by thanking God for who he is. And within the context of my own life, he is my rock, he is my strength, he is my foundation. And the Bible says that through Jesus, he has become our righteousness. What about our own righteousness? Does that have any merit, any value? Uh, I think within each one of us lies a certain understanding of righteousness and justice. It may be limited, it may be flawed, but because we have been made in the image of God, a sense of what is right, a sense of what is just, a sense of what is fair has actually been placed within us. It is how God made us, and I would argue that righteousness, wherever you find it, whenever you hear of it, wherever it is displayed, is valued because it reflects the character of God. And so while the world or the word righteous or righteousness has kind of a churchy sound to it, it is a value, it is an ideal, it is a goal that people in general would love to see expressed within the context of our society, our justice system, our government. It is why I think that as a church we need to continue to pray for those who govern it's why we should pray for those in leadership 
in our cities, in our province, in our country. It's why we should give thanks for where we live and give thanks for all that is right even within our flawed human systems. However, the, the belief that someday we'll get it all right is not going to happen. The Bible is clear that as good as the systems are that we put in place, the, as good as our intentions might be, as good as our leaders might be, we remain flawed and imperfect, flawed and sinful people that we come up short in terms of the righteousness of God. And the coming up short phrase is, is truly, a, it's a, I guess, somewhat a military analogy. And the picture is of an arrow that falls short of its target. It falls to the ground before it reaches the target. And you might say not only did it miss the bullseye, it actually met, missed the target itself. And that's us, that's me. That's how far our own righteousness, the Bible says, will carry us. We will fall short. And in the laundromat of righteousness, what I can muster on my own, the Bible says, still looks like filthy rags. I want to say our culture understands that reality. How many times have you heard people simply say, oh, well, I'm only human. Oh, well, you know what? Nobody's perfect. We all have our faults. These truisms which people speak forth on a regular basis, I think simply highlight man's own understanding of his own condition, and they echo what the Bible says. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And as much as the sense of right and wrong, I believe, has been written on our hearts by the God who created us, so, true to, so too is the truth of our own flawed nature. That that is clearly evident, that people are aware of it, they understand it. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I know of no one who would actually argue with that statement, within the church or outside the church. In terms of righteousness, God is over here. All of us are over here. My view of who I am as a Christian is one of humble acknowledgement that I am a sinner and my sins separated me from a God whose righteousness is so glorious. I'm unable to stand in his presence. The message of the Bible says that into this human condition, God sent his son. That Jesus, who was 100% God in human form, became sin for us. His perfect sacrifice has covered my unrighteousness. That God has wrapped me up in the righteousness of his son. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned 
to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 1 Peter 2, 22 to 25, he, that's Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and alive for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. That we were once like sheep who wandered away, but now we have returned to the shepherd, the guardian of our souls. It is such a beautiful truth that a righteous, perfect, holy, and just God is also a gracious, compassionate, merciful, and loving God. David spoke of this reality in so many of his psalms. Psalms 103, 103 verse 10, he said, He, God, does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. And Paul says the righteousness of Jesus has become our strength and our victory. If you were to ask what is our response to the righteousness of God on our behalf, what is that supposed to look like? I want to say it is meant to have an impact on how we live. When Paul references spiritual battles in Ephesians 6, the battle for our hearts, for our souls, and for our minds, when Paul encourages us to put on truth, put on righteousness, put on faith, put on salvation, put on the word of God, it is meant to help us walk in a manner worthy of our calling. All of these things that Paul talks about in chapter 6 are meant to impact how we live our lives. Sometimes one of the dangers we can fall into as Christians is to somehow prove to God that we deserve salvation or that he made a good choice when he saved us. There's a danger that even as Christians we try to earn the favor of God in the same way as we may at times try to earn the favor of an earthly father. And the Bible says don't do that. Don't go there. When it comes to our salvation, what makes us acceptable before God yesterday is exactly the same as what makes us acceptable today and tomorrow, and that is only the righteousness of Jesus on our behalf. And I would ask, do you believe that? Or are you still trying to impress God with your own goodness or godliness? If you are, I want to say you're actually trampling on the salvation that you have been given.
The Bible says that the salvation that we have in Christ is sufficient for us. And I want to say that if, if you are still in some way trying to prove to God that you are worthy of his salvation, I want to say you need to stop the striving, stop the trying, stop the performing. Stop trying to be good enough and embrace the righteousness of Jesus on your behalf. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will give you rest for your soul. Rest in my righteousness on your behalf and you will find peace for your soul. If we have truly put on the righteousness of Christ on our behalf, it should humble us. It should also give us relief. It should also give us peace. It should give us freedom. There is no greater weapon we have in the spiritual battle of life than being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's how the God of heaven and earth sees you and sees me. He sees us through the righteousness of Jesus. That is the only reason we can come before him boldly and in confidence. It is both profoundly humbling and profoundly freeing. We acknowledge our sins and humbly confess them and give them to Jesus. And in exchange, God says, come before me boldly and in confidence, for you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. If we truly embrace the righteousness of Christ in our behalf, I want to say we'll begin to walk more and more like Jesus did. We will more and more begin to reflect the image of the invisible God. We will more and more become instruments of peace, sources of light and hope within our world. I want to say anytime we replace the righteousness of Jesus with the clothing of our own self-righteousness, we run the danger of becoming motivated by some flawed sense of our own righteous living, and we can easily become a somewhat critical and judgmental people. We can turn into what somebody once said, the sin police of the world. And in that case, I have exchanged the righteousness of Christ, which was given me as a gift, with a distorted view of my own self-righteousness, and rather than living as Jesus did, I can become a judgmental, religious person. I want to say self-righteousness is tough to deal with in the context of the church. It is 100% counterproductive outside the church. Self-righteousness serves to alienate people and not engage them. We are not called to judge. We are called to live out our salvation and the righteousness of Christ to a world that needs to hear it. 
Even Jesus, and I thought about this week, even Jesus who embodied righteousness in all its fullness says, I did not come to judge, but to offer salvation to all who believe in me. I'm not suggesting that we ignore or turn a blind eye or somehow call sin by some other name, but how we interact with those who are outside the household of faith needs to speak to the truth of the gospel of salvation. It is not our role to judge. It is our role to make known and extend the gift that we have been given to a lost and somewhat aimless world. I pray that the righteousness of Jesus on our behalf will increasingly move us from judgment to compassion, to see people as Jesus did. Jesus saw us as sheep needing a shepherd. Jesus saw us as lost and needing to be rescued. Jesus looked at people and was moved, not by judgment, but by compassion. And this morning, I encourage us, all of us, as individuals, as a church, to rest in the arms of a God who is righteous and just in all his ways. I encourage us to acknowledge in humility our own sinfulness, yet embrace the righteousness of Jesus on our, our behalf with all our heart, our soul, and our minds. And I encourage us to walk as Christ did. That we would put aside judgment. It's so easy to go there at times. We look around, we, we, we see what's happening, and it's so easy to judge and become judgmental. But I want to say becoming judgmental requires very little effort. It's not unlike someone who knows how the quarterback should have played the game by sitting in the armchair in his living room. It's so easy to go to judgment. Jesus says, put that aside. Put aside any sense of our own self-righteousness and clothe yourself with the righteousness of Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians, he encourages us as Christian people, as his church, that we would walk in a manner worthy of our high calling. And I pray this week as we continue to live out our lives that we would see people as Jesus sees them. That we would see them as people who are lost. We would see them as people to whom Jesus has a message to give. And he may be asking us this week, speak that truth into somebody's life. Speak that hope into somebody you meet. When I think about uh, the garage sale, and I, I don't want to pretend I'm pushing this, it's sometimes hard to find ways in a church to actually interact with the community in which you live. We gather, we, we worship God, we lift up his name. It's, it's what the Bible calls us to do. We speak to the fact that we want to be able to speak into our community, but it's not easy to do 
it's not easy to find ways in which that can happen. And, and I pray that God would use that, something as ordinary and practical as a garage sale, not so much to raise money, but for us to interact and speak with our community. Um, it'll be an opportunity us, for us to interact and to think about what does it mean to walk in a manner, manner worthy of our high calling. What does it mean to interact with people putting judgment aside and only thinking about them with compassion as Jesus did? I pray God would continue to use us as his church, as his people, uh, that he is the God of the city, as we sang, that uh, the work of God is not finished in Lake Country, that we have a role to play there. and I just think that uh, when I think about us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ and how humbling yet powerful it is, I think we can have an amazing impact in this city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, um, Father, you, you know us, we even know ourselves, God, that we are so far from perfect people. And Father, you even say in Romans that you're talking about people who don't even um, gather as your people who know a sense of right and wrong because it's written on the very hearts of the people that you have created. In that verse it says that sometimes our hearts accuse us. Sometimes our hearts may say, well done. But Father, in the end, there's a reality that we are imperfect people. We are flawed people. And yet you extend to us through Jesus an opportunity to share in the righteousness of Christ who becomes righteousness on our behalf. Father, may we, may we not become judgmental. Father, may we humbly bow before you and say, thank you, God, for saving me. And Father, may we take that truth that freedom, that hope, that the beauty of the forgiveness of the cross. And teach us, Father, how to share that with people around us. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.